This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. This morning, we are wrapping up our summer series, No More Darkness. Over the last 13 weeks, we have walked through 1 John, a letter written by one of Jesus' disciples to a church that he had started. John is teaching them and us what it means to live in the light through the power of Christ at work in us. I've loved this series, and I'm a little sad that it's ending. I've enjoyed the the depth of exploring what it means to live out our identity as the children of God, to live in the light and not settle for a halfway life in the shadowlands. Throughout this letter, John has lifted Jesus up to us. He's shown us that this glorious Christ is the one who forgives our sins, brings us into his kingdom, and gives us his victory. This morning, we're going to look at John's concluding statements. At the end of chapter 5, it feels like he's running out of paper and ink and wants to cram in a few last thoughts before he goes. He finishes by reminding us that we can be confident in who God has made us to be. That we don't have to be afraid of helping each other even when we stumble and give in to the darkness. And finally, he shows us that we should continue to live in our identity and resist lies about who we are and who Jesus is. This section reminds me of when Angie and I leave on a trip and our kids are staying behind with a a close friend or family member. Even though we've taught our kids the same lessons over and over again, and Angie has left a super detailed schedule for the person watching them, we're still reinforcing important ideas on our way out the door. We're telling our kids, be nice to your siblings, listen to grandma, don't forget to study for your test, brush your teeth, don't stay up too late. We're reminding who's watching them of the events and activities they have coming. On and on it goes, and and there's an urgency to all of those instructions because we're headed out the door. John concludes his letter in a similar manner. He's squeezing in as many encouragements and final words as possible before he signs off. This morning, our staff pastors are going to highlight a few thoughts from John's final instructions. As they do, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will speak to you and encourage you. We're going to start by looking at 1 John chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. Well, good morning. If this is your first time here, I'm Cameron. I'm the youth pastor here at Christian Chapel. It's my privilege to uh, begin our tag team message this morning, looking at the final few verses of 1 John chapter 5. And so I want to thank you for being here on Labor Day weekend. Labor Day means a lot of things. One of the things that it means is that football season is back. It's exciting for me, for some of you as well. I know some of you probably don't care at all, but this is the time of year that this weekend college football games started back up. And it's always interesting to me at the beginning of a season in particular, you kind of get a glimpse into the kind of faith that fans have in their teams, right? Uh, And depending on your team and maybe your personality, you might find yourself anywhere along that spectrum. There There are fans that you'll talk to them and they will tell you confidently that their team is going to go undefeated and win the national championship and no one will come close. All right. They'll, they'll rub it in your face that they're so good. And, and so it's almost like bordering on arrogance, the confidence they have in their team. And then you have other people who are more like me. I'm an Iowa fan. And so, you know, they never do anything. So I'm just kind of like, I hope that everybody, like they have enough people to put out on the, on the, on the field and maybe win a game or two, you know? So uh, everybody has different levels of confidence. And so you see it come out in the way that they interact. And so this, this sort of uh, spectrum that you see ranging from just completely unconfident and almost timid all the way to arrogance 
We see that same sort of spectrum play itself out in the confidence and the faith that people have in their relationship with God, and especially in the way that they approach God through prayer. Have you ever prayed a prayer like this? God, if you hear me, could you kind of maybe like possibly? Yeah. Have you ever prayed a prayer like that? You just kind of felt like you weren't sure God was listening. Or maybe you've been on the other end and you've prayed so certain that what you were praying was going to happen and you just didn't see it. So there's this spectrum that we see sometimes. What John wants us to see is that we should be confident in our relationship with God and in the way that we approach God. Now, it's not an unbased confidence. It's not a blind sort of faith that we just say it and we believe it hard enough and it happens. That's not what John is teaching us. But he does show us that we should have confidence in who we are in Christ and that that should spill over in the way that we approach God. We're going to begin reading in verse 13 this morning for 1 John chapter 5. You can follow along on the screen. It says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, Whatever we ask, we know that we, have what, that we have what we asked of him. And so John is reminding his readers that you can have confidence when you've placed your faith in Jesus, that you can know that you're going to have eternal life. And not just that you're going to have eternal life in the future, but that Jesus is giving you life now. He comes to bring abundant life to us. And so John reminds us that you can have confidence in that that you don't have to approach God timidly, uncertain of who you are, of your relation to him, but you can come boldly and confidently to him because Jesus is the one who makes that possible. It's not our own merits or effort, but Jesus is the one who gives us life. And because we have that kind of a relationship with God, it's this cause and effect. We see then in verses 14 and 15 that then when we approach God, we do so with confidence. And it's a confidence that is securely rooted and established in our faith in Jesus. It says, I write that you may believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know you have eternal life. That confidence comes from our faith in Jesus. And as we approach God, it says that God hears us. He hears us. There at the end of verse 14. Now, when we say that God hears us, I think we need to clarify what that means because uh, you, you may be thinking, well, God hears everything and God knows everything, and that is true. God understands everything about our lives, every thought that we think, every word that we speak, and so him hearing us is not anything special or unique. But John is, is making a distinction here, and what he's talking about is God hearing us with a heart that is turned toward us, eagerly ready to answer our prayers. You have many different interactions throughout your day. This week, in fact, you'll probably have a number of different interactions with people around you. Everything from coworkers talking about work-related issues to spouses and children and parents that will interact with you. Maybe even telemarketers who will call you and try to sell you something that you're not interested in. And with all of those different interactions, you will hear a number of different things. But there is a difference between what you hear in the sense that you, you know, their mouth was moving um, versus hearing something as in you are listening eagerly, ready to respond. 
And John reminds us that when we have this confidence and when we approach God because of our faith in Jesus, when we ask him according to his will, that God hears us, meaning that God has his heart turned toward us and he's eagerly ready to respond to us. Now, the thing about these verses is that they're not a magic formula. Some people take this idea of confidence and just like the arrogant football fan, they turn it into this idea that if I just believe something enough and if I say it enough times, it will happen. But John isn't giving us a magic formula. Nowhere in scripture do we find this idea that if we just believe it hard enough and if we say it, it will happen. Faith isn't just about believing for what we want, but it's trusting in God enough to surrender our wills to his will. In fact, uh, Jesus, uh, Jesus is the one who is the object of our faith. We don't have faith in what he's going to do, but in him, he's the one that we trust in. And so as we pray, it's not us trying to convince God of our position. We're not trying to convince God that, hey, God, I know maybe you don't see this or understand, but let me present my case to you. When we're praying, it's not about convincing God as much as it about us responding to God. S.S. Smalley said that prayer is not a battle, but it's a response, and its power consists in lifting our wills to God, not in trying to bring His will to us. So it's not so much us trying to believe more that we'll get what we ask for as much as it is about us trusting in God more and surrendering fully to Him. Jesus taught His disciples to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. We prayed that prayer together this morning, and what Jesus was reminding us is that the secret to answered prayers is not for us to manipulate God into doing what we want or to just believe hard enough, and now the power of Him just belongs to us, but rather to align our hearts with His. And as we do so, we can be confident knowing that when we pray, that prayer is already something that God is eagerly ready to do and, in fact, is already answering in our lives. So John's encouragement for us is that we would be confident in our relationship with God because of our faith in Jesus, not because of what we do, but because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And because of that confidence in our relationship with him, we approach God confidently, believing that as we align our hearts to his will and his purpose for our lives, that those prayers are heard. And if we know that they're heard, then we know that God will answer them. Would you join me this morning as we pray together and we're, we're just going to ask God to, to, to come and to touch our hearts, that we would be surrendered fully to him, that he would be able to do all that he desires in our hearts. Would you join me this morning? God, we thank you for the life that you bring us through Jesus, that because of you, we can be close to you. We can be restored to you, God, and we thank you for that life that you bring. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be united with your heart so that we would know your will and surrender to it. And God, that we might live and pray confidently, trusting in your plan for our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, Pastor Randy is going to come and share more from 1 John. Thank you, Cameron, for that wonderful message. Good morning. Well, we're just going to go ahead and jump right in, and we're going to pick up where Pastor Cameron left off. Um, we're going to read through 1 John 5, verses 16 through 17. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, 
You should pray and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I am not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin and there is sin that does not lead to death. Now, this sin that leads to death has been a topic of great discussion throughout the generations. And because of our time restriction this morning, I really don't have time to go into that. So I want to settle in on verse 16. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. And the question that I want us to look at this morning is how do we respond when a fellow believer falls into sin? How do we respond when a fellow believer falls into sin? Now, I love how John begins verse 16, and he uses the language of our identity. He uses the terms brother or sister. And all throughout 1 John, John has been firmly planting us in our new identity, this place of who we are when we surrender and we give our lives to Jesus. And over and over again throughout 1 John, he has encouraged us to live out of this new identity. So here's the thought behind John's terminology. Your brother or your sister. This person that you are connected to because of your relationship with Jesus Christ. This person who is a part of your family. This person who belongs to the body of Christ. This person who shares the same father as you. In this verse, John firmly positions our heart in a place of relationship. And because of this feeling of relationship and of connection, it provides for us a perspective, a softening of our heart to show us how we should respond when we see a brother or sister fall into sin. All throughout John's letter, he is doing this balancing act. In 1 John 1.8, he tells us that if you say that you have no sin, you're deceived. And there's no truth that's in you. And then he tells us in 1 John 3, 9, that no one born of God continues the habit of sinning. Our brothers and our sisters and ourselves will occasionally fall into sin. On Wednesday evenings here at Christian Chapel, we offer a variety of classes. And by the way, if you're not yet plugged in, I would really encourage you to do so. Not only is it a great way to strengthen your faith, but it's a great way to get to know those who you worship with on Sunday mornings. But during this first session, I'm facilitating a class, and it's called Messy Grace. And basically what it is, it addresses the question is, how do we love those around us who are choosing to you to choosing a lifestyle that is not congruent to the gospel of Jesus? How do we love them well without sacrificing the truth of Scripture? And I think this question is very relevant to the question that we're asking today. One of the examples that the author uses to address this question is found in John chapter eight, and it's the story of the woman caught in adultery. So this woman is dragged in in front of a a group of male leaders, and they're asking Jesus, should we stone her? What they're really trying to do is to have Jesus um, say something that they can use to trap him with later on. But Jesus tells them to go ahead. But let the one who has no sin in their life throw the first stone. And Jesus looks at the woman and he says, where's your accusers? Is there not one left to condemn you? And she looks at her Lord and she says, no, 
And then Jesus says, neither do I can get, condemn you. He gives her grace. And then he tells her to um, go and sin no more. He gives her truth. In this one story, in this one instance, Jesus perfectly models for us how we are to, to respond when a fellow believer sins. Caleb Kaltenbach, the author of Messy Grace, puts it this way. The truth of the gospel reveals grace that is available for everyone. And grace's whole foundation is built on the truth of the gospel. You can't separate the two. Caleb also uses an illustration to help us better understand the necessity of grace and truth. And I'm going to share it with you this morning. So I have this really large rubber band to make sure we all can see it. So if I take grace and I hold it out here on its own, and I say, I'm all about grace. Can you see how it's flimsy and weak? There's no power in it, right? There's no strength. And if I take this rubber band, and I hold it out here, and I say I'm all about truth, it still remains flimsy and weak. And actually, if we choose to stand and be firmly planted in truth, there's a chance that we can lose someone we love. But if I stand in truth, and I stand in grace, you can see the strength, you can see the tension that lies between the two, right? Well, this tension that Jesus calls us to walk in is love. And we experience this tension in every arena of our lives. And it's really uncomfortable, and we want to run from it. I have a friend who I love a lot, but she's choosing to do this. I know the truth of the scriptures, but my husband or my wife is choosing to do this. I love my son or my daughter, but they're choosing to live a life that is not congruent to the gospel. We feel it all the time, and Jesus calls us to live in that. Now, we know both as parents and adults that sin has consequences sometimes, right? And the truth of the matter is, is sometimes we can't change or remove those consequences. But what we can do is we can love our brothers and sisters deeply. 1 John 4, 8 tells us, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. John tells us in verse 16 that if we see our brother or our sister commit a sin, we are to pray and God will bring them life. Now, Pastor Cameron just went over that we can stand in a place of confidence when we pray. Because of our relationship with Jesus Christ, we know that he hears our prayers. So we stand in this place confidently, and we pray that the Holy Spirit convicts them and that they turn from their sin. We pray that they will find their way back into a friendship and fellowship with God, that they will be restored. And we pray that they will have the desire to follow the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then scripture tells us that if we do this, God will bring them life, a renewal of spiritual strength and God's grace. Please bow your heads. I'd I'd like to pray over us. Father, we would pray that you would show us how to walk in this tension of love that lies between grace and truth. 
Father, fill our hearts with grace and compassion and the ability to love deeply. And Father, by your spirit, may we stay in a place of fervent prayer for our brothers and sisters who have fallen into sin as we wait in great expectation for you to bring them life. Amen. Pastor Amy is going to share with us the last few verses of 1 John. Thank you, Randy, for sharing that with us. That was a wonderful word. Well, good morning. I'm really glad to be up here with you guys. Um, as, as Pastor Randy said, I am the children's pastor, and I love being with your kids. They are so much fun. They are very honest, which is great most of the time. So I'll just tell you a quick story that, by the way, has nothing to do with what I'm about to talk about. But I thought about this morning when I put on this dress because I wore this dress um, hi a few weeks ago. I don't know how many, hopefully longer than not. But anyway, so I had it on and, and I'm telling them a Bible story and one of them raises their hands and I know I shouldn't engage. I'm like, do not engage, just keep going. But if they have some big theological question that they need answered, I don't want to pass that moment up. So I called on this boy and and he said, are you wearing two different dresses? <laughs> no, not, not wearing two different dresses. This is, this is all one dress. And another kid raises his hand. And again, I called on him. Did you sew those two dresses together? No, no, I didn't. I, this is the way I bought it. It came this way and I'm not wearing it to you in kids blast again, but here I'm wearing it in front of you guys. But anyway, they're just funny. So if you are the kind that tend to get distracted easily by something. Yes, this is the way I bought it. I didn't sew it together. Um, I can't sew anyway. So um, yeah, but anyway, they're just, kids are funny and they're awesome. And I love getting to work with your kids every single week. Um, this morning, I also get to finish up First John with you, which is an exciting privilege that I'm, enjoy- I'm really excited to share with you. And so we are looking at First John 5, 18 through 21. So let's um, read that together. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true by being in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. And there's a lot in just those few verses there. And that last verse, dear children, keep yourselves from idols, seems kind of like an odd way to finish a book. And I think about if we go with Pastor Chris's analogy of him giving his children instructions before that he leaves town, it would be kind of like me saying all these things to my kids and then saying, and don't play too many video games, and then just shutting the door behind me. Seems like a very abrupt way to finish a conversation. Um, But this must have been very important and on John's heart and a good reason for him to share that information with them. And actually, that last verse is a really good jumping off point that Pastor Chris is going to be talking about in our next series. So make sure you come back for that. But we're going to focus on verses 19 and 20 this morning. These two verses, 19 and 20, deal with us being aware of our identity in Christ and also being on guard not to exchange that identity um, for a lie. 
Now, one of the things that John has really hit on in this book is, is that we are aware of our identity in Christ. And Pastor Chris has talked about it so much these last several weeks, and Pastor Cameron and Pastor Rennie have also touched on it, that when we accept Jesus, we are children of God, and that is who we are, and that is how we should identify ourselves. We should identify ourselves as children of God, because that's what we are. And that's how we should be doing that. And so the first part of verse 19 reminds us again that we are children of God. But then that second part of verse 19 also reminds us that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We're talking about Satan here. And it's very important for us to remember this, that as children of God, we are going to be in direct opposition to most of the values of our world because our world in its fallen state, because of sin in it, is under the control of the evil one, under the control of Satan. And so we've got to figure out how to maneuver life as children of God living in a world that is under control of the evil one. And Satan does not like that we identify ourselves as a children of God. It doesn't make him happy. And so he's going to do whatever he needs to do to get us to exchange that identity for something else. And he uses lies to do this, to get us to exchange our identity as children of God. This past August, we had our kids' camp that we did, and our theme was Mindcraft. Not Minecraft, the video game, but Mindcraft. And we used Romans 12, 2 to, as our anchor verse for the week. And it said, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. And we talked at camp about how God desires for us to be in perfect communion with him, to be in relationship with him. That's how he created us and designed us from the beginning. But then when sin entered the world, then there was this big rift between us and God. And that's why God sent Jesus to help us to be able to still be in relationship with God. But ever since then, Satan comes and he tries to disrupt the connection that we have with God. And he tries to feed us all kinds of lies, lies about ourselves, lies about what is and isn't appropriate behavior, and even lies about God, too. And so at camp, we spend some time talking about what kind of those, what are those lies that we tend to believe, and we spend some time defeating those lies through the truth of the scripture and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it was just a really wonderful time for us to just kind of really address those things that try to take our minds and our hearts away from God. And we spent some time to begin to transform our minds and hearts to where they would be more in line with God's mind and heart. And that's kind of where I want to come from today as we're looking at these two scriptures in 1 John. See, John reminds us in verse 20 that how we can continue in our identity as children of God. And it says here in verse 20, we know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. You see, Jesus has come to set us free from the lies that Satan tries to get us to believe. Lies like God doesn't love us. God can't possibly love us. Lies that God has abandoned us or left us alone. Lies that life is about all about us, or even lies that our choices of entertainment or friends, our attitudes don't affect us on a spiritual level. These kinds of things that Satan tries to feed us as lies can 
can help us to be tempted to exchange our identity as children of God. And so Jesus declared to us when he first began his ministry in Luke 4.18, Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. And then Jesus goes on to tell the people who are listening. He said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So what Jesus is saying to them back then and what he's still saying to us now is he's saying, this is why I came. I came so that you could have freedom from the lies that you encounter on a daily basis. And when he comes in and he shines a light on the truth of who he is, the truth of who we are, then we're able to walk in that truth. And then we're able to walk in the identity that he has for us as children of God. Now, I'm sure that many of you have heard the statement, no one talks to you more than you. Anyone ever heard that before? Okay, I don't know about you, but me and myself are really good friends. (laughs) And I talk to each other a lot. And no, I'm not crazy. Okay, but I have a lot of that self-talk that goes on every single day in my head, and more so than I really talk to anybody else as I talk to myself. And Satan can use all that self-talk to discourage us in our walks with Jesus and even tempt us to begin to exchange the identity as children of God into an identity of a lie that's based on the lie that Satan tries to feed us. And so it's very vital that we're aware of this from the beginning. So when those lies start trying to creep in, we can defeat them with the power of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and in our minds. And so I've started keeping a journal of scriptures. And so on each page, I'll put at the top whatever the topic is I want to kind of focus on that morning. So it might be fear or worry, how to show compassion um, versus on how Jesus is praying for me versus on jealousy or versus on guarding my heart. And so I put that at the top of the page and then I, and I look up scriptures that, that deal with the truth concerning those matters. And I wrote, write them down. And so then when Satan tries to come in and feed me a lie about my identity, I can go back to the truth. What does the truth say? And it's very beneficial to do that ahead of time so that you're not trying to play catch up and you're, you're getting bombarded with all kinds of messages that you know are not true. But you can go back and look at what does the Bible say? What is the truth? And the truth of the scriptures and the power of the Holy Spirit speaking through those scriptures can set you free to be the child of God that he has, I, he has planned for you to be from the beginning of time. And so I want to encourage you to find something along those lines in your life, something that you can do or like a, a daily routine or something you can do to help you to combat those lies when they come up in your life. So if you'll close your eyes, and I'd like to, to pray for you. God, we thank you so much that you sent Jesus to set us free from lies about who we are, about who you are. And I pray that you would just continue to shine your light on the truth of who you are. Jesus, we thank you so much that you are the bringer of truth. And I just pray that you would just allow your Holy Spirit to fill us with your truth and with your love. I pray for those who maybe have been tempted to exchange their identity as your child with a lie that they have been fed by the evil one. And I pray that today you would begin to break apart those lies through the power of your spirit, that you would send freedom 
that you would send your love and that you would do what you want to do in our lives and that we would begin to walk in the identity that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.